Fight! Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. All right, so I'll start this off. When I first moved to San Diego, I checked out a gym that was nearby that was being built. And when I stopped by, Elias was the first person that I had seen. He kind of gave me a tour while they were kind of still building the place. And just in talking to him about martial arts and training, I was like sold from the get-go. And I've trained with Elias for many years. He gave me my blue belt, <laughs> my purple belt. And I think Elias is one of the most unforgettable people you meet, especially coaching-wise. I consider him like my father of jujitsu. Uh, I still do. This is a guy that can talk to you and make you follow him into war. He's motivational. He's always giving back. And he's one of the best coaches and people I know. So I'm stoked that he's here. And uh, yeah, I hope y'all can get to know him as well. I've been doing some research on you too. And I've been listening to some podcasts that you're on. And through this podcast, I've got to hear Arturo, Manny, Brandon and Russ all talk about how they would go to war for you and just how important you are to their lives. And then when I started reading about you, I learned that basically you run your gym as just the foundation and you say jujitsu is your church, like pastoring was your calling, but then you realized, oh, you're already doing that. And now you're just helping so many people. And so like, right. I'm just honored to also be uh, talking to you now and ready to ask you some questions and learn more about yourself. That was, that was a really good introduction, man. Now I'm just like, now I'm on the, I'm on, I'm on the fence now, man. I got I to gotta bring my A game. So let's, let's see how it goes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, I learned a little bit about uh, your history, how you said in high school, you were, you know, you were an athlete. You had parents that were pastors. You know, right. you, you had a lot given to you, but you were also a knucklehead. You went to jail. Right. You said uh, it was like a robbery, like serious stuff, right? right? And you're like thankful that it could have been much, much worse. Or sure. And and now, like, yeah, hearing from the black belts who train, Brandon Guptill and Russ Edwards, like, you're this leader. And I'm curious, was it martial arts that helped you change and do that? Or what was it that helped that transformation? It, it wasn't really, I think it was a number of things. Look, I think to answer that question, I first have to, I first have to talk about like what got me to that point of being a knucklehead and, and of trying to like mm. harm myself, you know, I wasn't molested by a teacher and by uh, an uncle for a long time. And, and dealing with those feelings, those emotions, those buttons that are being turned on that shouldn't be turned on for a young kid. It's like for a young man, especially a Latino man, right? Like, you know, Latinos are supposed to be tough, macho. And then when that happens to you, you're like, yo, what the fuck is going on with me? Right. And, and I started to, so I started to act out. Right. And nobody knew why I was acting out. Look, like, like Anoop said, I was the, the son of two pastors. You know, I didn't grow up in the fucking hood. I wasn't in a gang, loving parents, loving family, but I had this childhood trauma that was affecting me so much. I was fighting. I was beating up my brother. I was, I was a bully because in my mind, like that was never going to happen to me again, you know? And because it went unchecked uh, in the ninth or 10th grade, I ran away from home. And uh, me and my cousin, we did an armed robbery. And thank, you know, thank God I got caught right away. Uh, the cops were following us the whole time. Like we had tried to rob a couple people and the cops were like, what are these kids doing? They fought. As a matter of fact, it happened right across the street from Victory. Before oh, Victory was whoa. open. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to jail. When I got out of jail, it just got even worse. That's when I started kidnapping and bodyguarding for drug dealers, you know. I had always known that I was a leader. I had always I had always had this thing that people followed me. I was just using it in the wrong fashion. You know, I would say that the biggest thing to answer this question, when I had my kids, when I had my kids, I had to realize that something had to change for my kids, you know. I, I would I would say that's that would be the answer. If there is an answer, it's for my kids. I had to change. But I, I think that I was always a leader. I think that I was always special. I was always different. But I was trying to hide that at an early age because when you're younger, you want to be like everybody else. You know, like being different is not not cool when you're younger, right? Like you you want to fit in. And I, I really think it was my kids, you know, that. And I feel in my heart that I've done so much. I've hurt so many people and I've done so much bad in my life that I want to spend the rest of my life giving back. You know, not as a penance or, you know, not as anything like that. It's just that I have a platform that I can help people with. And that's, I should have been doing that all my life. And now I can't change what I did in the past, but I can definitely change my future, you know? And so I'm really, I'm thankful that I have this opportunity because there's a lot of people that, um, I have a lot of friends that didn't make it out of that. You know, I got friends that are missing and I know they're dead. I got friends that are in jail for the rest of their life. And uh, I'm just thankful that, for whatever reason, God allowed me to step out of that life. And I feel like I have a successful life now. Yeah, you definitely do, Elias. And I'm glad you found that path because you've had an impact in my life. And we've had people on here that you've had a huge impact in their life too. And you continue to do that and you do a lot of good things. So uh, we're happy about that for sure. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful how open and vulnerable you are, because I think yeah. a lot of that's one thing we want to do with this podcast, because a lot of times people look at fighters like my mom sometimes is like brutish, yeah. you know? And it's like, no, these people have a lot of, we all have like a lot of depth and a lot of people are shared, scared well, of sharing it. This is, this is the thing that really, when I realized, I can pinpoint when I, I can pinpoint back to a, a, maybe five years ago where, look, I suffer from severe depression because of the childhood trauma. I was an addict and I still battle that, you know? What I found with fighters, people who train, that's an outlet. A lot of people, there's a reason I'm so successful. There's a reason my nonprofit is helping so many people in the fight world, in the jiu-jitsu world, because people who train, look, most people, 90% of people deal with childhood are dealing with some sort of childhood trauma, right? There, people who train were cut from a different cloth. We're training because we're running from something. We're training because we're hiding from something. We're training because we want, we don't like the way we are. Like, there's a number of reasons people train, right? One, so one time I made a post about my depression. And I was like, look, man, I'm suffering from severe depression. And I don't know what to do. And uh, I reached out to some guys. And if you're suffering from depression, come and train for free with me, right? All of a sudden in my inbox, I had like 20 professional MMA fighters, black belts at the highest level. Hey, Elias, thank you so much, man. I suffer from depression too. And I don't know how to, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off. I was like, whoa, I just made one little post on my depression and how I deal with it. And I had all these people that I thought, oh my God, like that I looked up to. And they're reaching out to me saying, thank you so much, you know, for, for being that voice, you know? And I thought to myself, man, if I made like a little four sentence, you know, no, a tweet or whatever it was, and it affected people that much, what if I put some time into this? What if I put some thought into this? How much more could we help people? What if I started a program for people with depression, with anxiety, with PTSD? And that's really how things started formulating and the nonprofit you know, blew up. That's really how it started. So uh, go into that. Go go into the work you do with law enforcement, military, yeah, yeah everything. I mean, for most of my jujitsu career here, when I opened up my academy, we were always helping people, right? I didn't know anything about what a nonprofit was. I didn't know that, right? In my mind, 
I thought Jerry's kids, like, you know, like when I was a little kid, <laughs> that's what I thought a nonprofit was, Salvation Army, Jerry's kids. So one time, a, who was a very successful entrepreneur, he's like, hey, Elias, I'd like to donate some money to your nonprofit. What's the name of your nonprofit? You know, I, all the work you're doing with these kids, with that, with these at-risk youth and the PTSD program, uh, what's the name? You know, I want to give you some money. I was like, uh, I don't have cancer. Or what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> At a loss, right? He goes, so he goes, all the money that you buy, like, that's, where do you get that money from? Like, oh, that's my money. I was like, I don't get a paycheck. Every money that I cut for myself from the gym, I put right back into the nonprofit. Like, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. and his jaw dropped. And he goes, no, 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 no. He's like, you have to set up a nonprofit. So I've been doing this shit for a long time. I've only had, the nonprofit's only been, was founded only like three years ago. But mm-hmm. I've been doing it for 10 years, right? And so once I started the nonprofit, it just expanded. So one of the, the biggest programs are we help combat veterans with PTSD. Um, we give them free mentoring, free counseling. We have a mental health. Uh, I have a, a clinical psychologist on, on my staff. We give a free mental health therapy class every Sunday to the community. It deals with depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction. That's something that we give back. I work with at-risk youth. I work with National City PD. I'm going to start working with National City PD. And I've been working with SDPD for the past five years. And what I get is we get knuckleheads like I was off the street. I give them lifetime memberships. I mentor, I counsel them. I'll go pick these guys up at three o'clock in the morning at a party because they don't want to call their mom and dad. And they'll send me a text. I'm like, where are you at? No questions asked. And the parents know when I drop them off, don't ask your kid where he was at. Don't ask me where he was at. Just be thankful he's home, you know? And that's been a real blessing because I'm able to save some people. I'm, I'm really able to save some kids' lives, you know? I work with female victims and survivors of domestic violence and rape. Again, free counseling, free memberships. We provide all the, we provide, all the gear, they don't pay nothing out of pocket. We just give them all that stuff back. And then I, tra- I train law enforcement for free. So uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have free law enforcement classes, defensive tactic classes. And it's just like, if I can help somebody under the umbrella of my nonprofit, I'll make a program and we just start helping them. You know, and it's just, it's just a way of me giving back. And that's amazing. And I, I love all those pillars, right? And how it's bringing everybody together. Right. You know, it's not necessarily something that like, I mean, the money helps, but putting them all in the room together. I think right. is what helps the most, right? Like the cops are like learning like, oh, these kids are just knuckleheads, you know? Right. And then and then the knuckleheads are just realizing like, shoot, like I could have such a better life, you know, well, like I, just what's I, out there. I've said this before, the jujitsu map, the only thing I, akin to jujitsu map I think is like church where, where else can you find like a drug dealer, a cop, a pastor, a nurse, an addict, a high school football star athlete on the map and you're getting to know each other, you know, a gay kid with a, with, with a, a right winger. And all of a sudden, you don't know the guy's past. You don't know what he likes or what he's into. You just know that he's training with you. And there's, you know, when you train, there's a bond. When, you, when you're trying to choke somebody, they're trying to choke you out. I don't care what God you pray to. I don't care who you love. I don't care if you worship a fucking rock or a cockroach. When we're training and when we sweat and bleed together, you're my brother. And mm-hmm. then I have an insight on, okay, you know what? Now I'm not looking at this Muslim or I'm not looking at this gay kid. I'm not looking at this cop or this drug dealer or this left winger or this right winger. I'm looking at a man or woman, a human being. And we have something in common. And what's in common is jujitsu. And whatever stress or whatever heartbreak that you're going through throughout the day for an hour or two hours on the mat, you forget about that. And you're training with somebody who's helping you to forget your problems, who's helping you sharpen your tools, who's helping you get better. And it was helping you become a better human being. And then you, you fall in love with that person. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, you don't believe in my God, but that's okay because you believe in jujitsu, right? And, and, and then we, <laughs> and there's a starting point. And that's a starting point 
where it's like, you know, you have these guys that like, fuck cops. You know, I have guys like that all the time. Like, fuck these cops, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, you know, your best fucking friend over here is a correctional officer. Or is on- what? No, no. Well, he's different. No, nah, he's not different. He's just a different human. You know, it's like mm-hmm. and that's about jujitsu is that everybody's in a gi. I don't know how you grew up. I don't know your background, but we have something in common. And look, when you find something in common with somebody, that's a starting point. That's a yes. starting point. And that's the beautiful thing. And I wish more people understood that. You know, I wish more instructors knew the power that they had. Because I don't think, and, and I need to be very, very careful on how I say this. I think a lot of instructors or gym owners can be doing so much more because of the platform that they have. And I think they, just, they don't understand the platform that they have, right? I think if you're in this game to make money, I, I, you know, I, I, I just got to be very careful. For me, I'll say it for me. It's not about making money. Money will always come. Money will always come. But for me, it's about being a part of something greater than yourself, right? If I understand that principle of being a part of something, a universal principle is if you give, you're going to receive. That's a universal principle. The biggest billionaires in the world give more than anybody else, right? Why? Because they understand that principle of giving and receiving. And so when I give, 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 I receive in some form or some fashion, right? And I think I'll get calls all the time. Hey, man, why are you doing this? Like, why are you giving that stuff away for free? You should be charging. First of all, it's not your fucking gym. Don't worry about me. But <laughs> and, and that's the first, my first one. And then the second response, look, this is why. Yeah, I'll give law enforcement training for free, but you know, they're going to bring their kids and sign up their kids, you know, like in the end I get it back, you know, but, I, and it's, I wish more, I wish more gym owners understood that, that principle, because we could be doing so much more as a community for jujitsu than we are. I, I, that's just, that's really what I believe. We could be doing so much more, but then some, but then some guys you say, Elias, shut the fuck up. I just want to make world champions. And that's cool too. You know, like, that, <laughs> and I get that too. You know, that's, it's just, that's why I had to be very careful. That's, that's just my philosophy. I think we could be doing so much more, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, these police are the same people that guard your communities and stuff. So the yeah. better equipped they are, the better decision makers they are, the better everything. Like you're, you're improving your community uh, by that. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money with that for sure. Yeah. I w- I'd like to give a shout out. I have a friend who does something similar. Her name's Dana Racklin. So she has a nonprofit here in New York called NYC Together. Mm-hmm. And she's like outspoken about a lot of issues too with like law enforcement. But her nonprofit, what it does is when high school kids or middle schoolers get suspended, they have a program where they have to spend time with the police and they do things like community gardening or <laughs> like events. And actually Omar from The Wire it has become like really like a big part of it. So I saw her started from nothing. And then now like, you know, like these celebrities are coming on board, but I think the essence is the same, put the people together. Like right. once they're, and I think they did the same thing in Watts where they had a whole bunch of cops uh, basically run a flag football or not actually a tackle football league. And they were the coaches. And at first parents were a little bit like, I don't know, I don't trust these people, right. you know, I'm scared of them, but then, but then the kids were like, I kind of want to play football, you yeah. know, and then and they all and then they all just became closer, you know. Right. So I think it's what you said. Starting point is the essence of all this. And I mean, imagine, imagine, like, especially now, like nowadays, you know, everybody likes to say, "Oh, this is the worst time in America," or whatever. But look, there's America is definitely divided, right? Definitely divided. You know what was really cool is I was at a I was at was I I was at Wendy's or I was I was someplace, and uh, I had a um, this was right before the election. And I made a bunch of hats. I made a bunch of hats with the, um, the Punisher logo. And it said Trump 2020. Because right? I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm not necessarily a Republican. I'm not necessarily a Trump supporter. But I'm a conservative, right? 
And so I made these hats, you know, because everybody was like, ah, and so I made these hats and just to kind of like fuck everybody. I made this hat and I was at, I was out in the line and I turned around and I saw this black guy and he had a Black Lives uh, BLM shirt on, right? And just like the, the guy didn't know me, right? But the glare and the hate that I saw in his eyes. No, okay, I'm sorry. We were at a 7-Eleven. We were at a 7-Eleven. It was in the morning. <laughs> the, 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 the glare and the hate, right? And I thought, man, like, this is what's wrong with America is that there's just all these gigantic assumptions. There's all these assumptions that are happening all the time. And so what I did was I go, uh, I ordered my, I, I ordered, a, I think I had like a Danish or whatever. And I go, hey, I'm going to pay for the guy behind me. And I left the $10 bill. And I walked out, right? I'm in my car. And uh, the guy comes running out. The guy comes running out and he goes, hey, hey, hey. He's like, thanks, man. He's like, thanks. Have a good day, bro. He's like, thanks a lot. I knew in the beginning this motherfucker did not like me. Like the way he was looking at me, just like, you know. But look, $10 for me is nothing, right? And at least in my mind, I might have changed the way he perceives other people who he thinks are conservative or who have a different philosophy or understanding or, or way of thinking than him, right? And that only cost me 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For me, that was like, I was like, I was like, oh, that was amazing because I, I was just like, I didn't think he was gonna do that. He came running out and his demeanor was complete. Hey, thanks. You know, he was like, thanks a lot, bro. Thanks, thanks. And it was like, for me, that was everything. Like that's, you know, that's a starting point. That's a starting point for me. Like everything for me is starting points. There's, there's no person that's on the other side of the earth that I can't find a way to talk to and to get down on their level or have them come up to my level and meet them where they're at and make a friend. There, there, there's just there's nothing that's that impossible for me you know and that's important for me i think uh i think that's how i kind of like see you as a coach and stuff too that i think that's why you're able to be such an effective coach and now even like just an effective leader in general using your platform for the right yeah that, that's amazing to hear i was gonna segue off of that into saying in martial arts do you feel like because i feel like sometimes i think on the mat is like what you're doing is you're increasing your capacity to problem solve I mean, Brandon talked about this when we had him on it's like that's what we're doing is we're solving problems and we're kind of doing it together so we're becoming better problem solvers and all of a sudden like maybe we have better dialogue and better understanding of each other through that like martial art if you want to be successful at anything I think you have to understand the principle of failure right and struggle nowadays people will run from struggle people want the easy way out Uh, you know you put something in the microwave for 30 seconds and most people open it at five seconds left because they want it. (laughs) That's true. People, human nature is to survive. Human nature is to take the easy way out. You know, we're going to go up this hill or go around it. Oh, let's go around it. Right. (laughs) But, but when you go up the hill, what's, what's the glory of going up the hill, The, the view, right? You go up the hill and you see the view. Is it harder? Sure. But you see the view that you wouldn't see from going around. Great leaders understand the principle of struggle. And that's what you find in jujitsu at its lowest point. You're struggling, right? And you understand, hey, I'm not dying. You understand sometimes in, sometimes when you, when you face an obstacle, sometimes you have to smash that motherfucker, but sometimes you have to go around it. Sometimes you have to go over it and sometimes you go underneath him. And that's the problem solver. That's like the Rubik's Cube that Professor Brandon uh, was talking about. And when you can apply that to life, I really believe everybody in America should be in the military for two years and do jiu-jitsu for three years. And America would be a completely different place, right? You know, you would understand structure. You would understand like in how to deal with environment better you would understand struggle and then, and nowadays with these kids coming up one thing that we see with these kids is they don't understand struggle because they haven't struggled for anything you know so when you understand struggle you understand that life's going to be okay because no matter what happens that's part of life 
I actually tell my students the same thing. I tell them I would have a draft. I say six months instead of two years, but like <laughs> it's, it's the same premise. Like get out of your home, you know, like even if it's like digging sandbags, like first go through boot camp together. Yeah. Then it's like, yeah, digging sandbags if there's floods or, you know, putting out forest fires, like doing something that's like contributing. But I think we assume a lot of people don't suffer and we assume a lot of people especially like when you see something online, you're like, who the fuck is this person saying this thing? Right. But when you're, but when you're on the mat together and then that person says something, you go, all right, well, I'll trust it a little bit more because I know right. them more, yes. you know? Yes. And I remember that happened like on a group text, like, you know, when the COVID happened, like some people were talking about like, I think like immigration or something. And someone was like illegal immigrants, you know? And then right. there was one white kid at our school. He goes, yo, by the way, guys, I was a Canadian illegal immigrant, <laughs> like, you know, and it kind of like blew everyone's mind. They're like, oh shit. <laughs> and like, yeah. and you know, like, I think he's in the Coast Guard now. Like, you know, he like, it, it was just because we're putting ourselves together. I think right. it, it opens the conversation. And that's what it's all about is just, if you could start a conversation with somebody, you know, now, now it's up to them. You know, if you, if you can approach them to start a conversation like with peace and with, and with the mindset of trying to understand them, that's what it's all about, man. I'm trying to understand as many different viewpoints right, as I possibly can. Cause I want to know people. Like I want to, like my job every day is I make it a point to make 10 people smile, 10 strangers. Right. And in those 10 smiles, I'll start a, two or three people will start a conversation with me. Right. And my life is richer for that. My life is fuller for that because I'm meeting people and I'm, cause I'm look, so a lot of people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not, I'm an introvert. And the, so I'll share this. I'll share this like for the first fucking time on this on this fucking podcast. Like the reason the reason. So here's my here's my thinking. The reason I became like Pepper Brooks and I had this persona and the reason I had all, you know, I have all these tattoos is because I wanted not to stand out, but I wanted to hide myself so much in the front that nobody would ever question my insecurity, if that makes any sense. Mm. Right. I wanted to hide in plain sight. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. And so I'm deathly afraid of talking to people. Like, so <laughs> I, if, if, yeah, I am. So if you follow, if you would follow me back and if you follow my Instagram, whatever, like, you know, I'm a raver and I like to party. I used to like to party really hard and I'd go out and party and I'd take 20 people with me and party. But if you ever partied with me, I was always by myself. In a group of 20 people, I was always by myself, you know, and I, I was very insecure. Right. And so like, yeah, I, I tried to put myself so out far in front that nobody would ever question my insecurity. And so part of my like growing process, part of my learning process is meeting 10 people and just, Hey man, you look very pretty today. I'll tell a guy that, Hey, you look very pretty today. What? Bro, <laughs> 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 what'd you get through that? Right. And it's like, Oh, thanks bro. And then, and then you can make them laugh. Right. And then sometimes like, Hey, yo, Hey, do you train or what's that shirt? You know? And, and then it's a conversation, you know, and, but that's for my growth. Like I, I understand now. And I think it's, I don't want to say it's, so, it's too late, but I'm understanding now that I was living a life. I thought I was happy spending money and doing all the, doing all these crazy things, but I wasn't happy. I had no inner peace, right? I wasn't growing. And I think at the end of the day, when I die, I want to be able to say I lived a rich and full life. That doesn't mean having this car and that house, but it means that I met people. It means that when I die at my funeral, there's going to be people that show up and say, Hey, my life was changed because you know, professor, because Elias helped me with this, because he gave me a little, he gave me, he made me laugh when I was sad. He picked me up at three o'clock in the morning when nobody, like, that's my legacy. That's what I want my legacy to be, that, that I fulfilled what I was supposed to fulfill in my life, in my lifetime, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do, 
right? I have two degrees, one in theology, one in counseling, and I'm trying to use those to the fullest potential to just help people, right? And th that's just where I'm at right now in my life, you know? And I'm using the platform of jujitsu. If I didn't have jiu if I was working at Wendy's, it'd be every person I sold French fries to, I'd be trying to talk <laughs> Right. So we usually ask people in this podcast, like, you know, what would you fight for? But obviously we know what you're fighting for. So if you could ask our listeners or like just whoever does listen, how they could help you in that fight, like what could they do? Like, could they donate or should they tell one person to come or would that like overload? Like how, no, what's a good way I mean, to help you? It, it, so a good way to help the nonprofit is if they wanted to donate for sure, that would help. But just word of mouth, like, look, we all know somebody who falls into the category of combat. We, we, look, we live in San, or people listen to San Diego, right? It's a military city. So somebody knows somebody that's a combat veteran with PTSD. Somebody knows somebody who's dealing with depression or anxiety or addiction. Somebody knows somebody who has a, an at-risk, a knucklehead kid who's kind of on that way, right? Look, one out of four women has been assaulted, right? So we know somebody, right? So if just sharing the program and saying, hey, this guy has a, this program. I know somebody who could use that help. That's it. You know, and, and that's really all just just sharing, just sharing donations help great, but I would rather have people come through my doors than money come through my doors, you know, because I can I can work with people. Money will just sit there until it's time to help. But I could work with. All right. I, I hope I hope somebody that is listening, like immediately texts somebody and goes, hey, you should yeah. go here. You know, yeah. so that's mm -hmm. that's what I'm pushing people to do. Um, and, and they text me. My phone number is six, one, nine, seven, oh, three, one, nine, nine, eight. And just say, hey, I heard your, I heard your podcast, man. Uh, can you give me more information on on the programs you have? And that'd be great. I, you know, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, because I, I think I heard you on another podcast where you even said like you want to hear people too, you know. Yeah. And so the fact that you give them your number and you get to know what they're actually going through, uh, just making it all real is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's something. All right, so tell us. I mean, you're using jujitsu as like this big platform. How did you? What what really got you into jujitsu? Like, how, what was that? Well, what inspired I, that? I was a bodyguard and kidnapper and uh, jujitsu fit really good at that. Like, you know, like I, I wasn't, like I said, I was a knucklehead. I was, a, I was in trouble all the time. Uh, I saw the first UFC. No, I saw the second UFC and I was like, yo, that's, I wrestled in high school. So I was like, yo, that's wrestling what this guy's doing with, with like WWE chokes, like WWF yeah. chokes. Right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. And uh, man, that just really went hand in hand. So that's, so people always ask me, how come you never fought? Right. Cause back then it was NHB. So like when I was training with Dean, mm. He was starting his first man. I was making a thousand dollars a day, a thousand dollars a day, bodyguarded and kidnapping. When Dean was, I remember, I think his first fight was 700 and 700. 700. <laughs> I was like, Fuck that for 1400 bucks. I'm making a thousand dollars a day doing this, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, that's why I never fought, you know, like because the money I was making as a bodyguard and kidnapper, uh, far out, far exceeded what these guys were making. You know, and, and I was like, well, I know I can fight. I don't need to prove myself for that much money, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I'm doing here. So that's, that's really where I was at, you know, with that. Mm -hmm. with the and, and why not fight untrained fighters? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's even better. You know, there's, no, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> Pull a gun, then it's, then it's trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So in your jujitsu experience, do you, because you've been in the game a long time now, you're like yeah. one of the early guys. I mean, you've been I'm training for a long time. I'm actually, you know, what's funny is not that it matters, but I'm actually, I like to throw this around sometimes. Like when, when like a Latino or Mexican comes in, like I'm the highest ranking Latino in San Diego. I'm a fourth mm. degree. Right? Doesn't mean shit to anybody else, but right. People that are into that, 
I'm like, that's cool. But I'm actually one of the highest ranking Americans in San Diego. I started in 96, uh, late 95, early 96. I'm one of the highest ranking Americans. So I've been in the game for a while. I've seen it. I've seen it all. You know, I've seen it all. I've been in the game for a while. And I feel that because I'm a pretty solid guy and I'm a stand-up guy, that for the most part, I'm respected in, in the community. You know, people, so people either love me or they hate me. And I'll take that. I'll take love or hate, right? Don't be in the middle with me. But I feel that if you ask people about me, I think one thing that they'll say is, oh, that guy's legit, you know? And that's pretty much all you can say, you know? 100%, 100%. So with that, since you've like seen this uh, so long, what do you think about the direction of jujitsu? How do you think how it has evolved, the game of it, the sport? What are your thoughts on jujitsu now or the evolution of it? So- the beautiful thing about the evolution of jiu-jitsu is that more people are doing it, right? When I first started in 95, 96, there was two schools, Fabio Santos and Nelson Montero. So why people always ask, why did you choose Fabio? Because he was the closest. He was in Mission Valley. Nelson was in uh, Del Mar, you know? And now I think the last Google check I did, there's over 120 facilities that teach jujitsu, you know? So the evolution has definitely brought more people, more better athletes, tournaments, right? Where my issue is, is that jujitsu for me at least, because I started early, has always been about self-defense, has always been about, you know, not everybody can be a world champion. Like to be a world champion, you need a, a training program. You need a, you know, you need to be lifting weights. You need a dietitian. You need to, you need a program to be a world champion, right? To learn self-defense, you just have to show up, right? We have to remember, at least for me, my students, my, my association, I have the association, the Gallego Street Association, we have seven schools. The philosophy is always self-defense first, right? So, Again, the beautiful thing about the evolution of jiu-jitsu is that more people are doing it. And if more people are doing it, I don't care if you're doing gi, no gi, MMA, self-defense, you're doing it. You're part of the tree of jiu-jitsu, just a different branch. You're probably living a healthier lifestyle. You're probably dealing with your depression better. You're probably a happier person because you're training, because you're because you're getting that cardio in, because you're moving your body. Body's in motion tend to stay in motion. So in that aspect, it's beautiful because more people are doing it. But as far as like, I think Russ talked about this too. Like there's a lot of jujitsu black belts that are just like sport guys that think they know how to fight and they don't know how to fight. You Mm -hmm. know, for me, if you're going to be a jujitsu black belt, I think you should know how to defend yourself against punches. I think you should know some basic combinations. I think when somebody comes in, here's the issue that I have. A lot of schools will say jujitsu for self-defense where they teach self-defense and nothing could be further from the truth. They're only teaching sport. You know, and so you get a kid who's been bullied or you get a, a cop who shows up and like, oh, jujitsu down the street. Let me go check it out. And they sign up because they heard so much. They heard great things about jujitsu, but now they're upside down on their neck, you know, or they're a 35 year old man who's got a bad back and they're doing barambolos on the first day. And that shit don't fly. Right. Mm-hmm. Simple, effective, basic fundamentals. And I think that should be the building block of every academy. And sometimes it's not. Now, again, what you do at your academy is your academy. I don't have an issue with that, but I think. At the end of the day, if you're gonna if you're gonna tie a black belt in jujitsu in Brazilian jujitsu around your waist, you should at least know how to defend against some punches. If some dude walks in and starts throwing punches at you, you know, and you do this, that that's how effective is your jujitsu really? You know, so I think people just need to be honest when you walk through the door. You know, we're a sport competition place. We primarily deal with sport jujitsu, uh, you know, or we we deal with something. You know, I think you just people need to be honest, and a lot of times they're not because they don't want to lose that potential student, that potential income. Mm. That makes sense. But other than that, man, jujitsu is beautiful. If you're training, you're training. You know, if you're training, you're training. And then I don't have an issue with what you're training. Just don't lie to people. That might mm-hmm. I think that would hurt the whole art in general, too, right? Like if if somebody saw like a brown belt just get punched in the face, you know, like part of well, me would just feel like look, let me say this. So um the beautiful thing about my association is when guys come to my academy. 
first, nobody's ever walked in my door. And I don't know that anybody's ever walked through anybody's door and said on the first day, I want to be a world champion. Nobody said that shit. Usually people walk through the door and they're like, my kid's getting bullied. I want to lose weight. Uh, you know, I'm a cop and, and this happened to my coworker and, you know, we need to be better. Nobody has ever walked through the door on their first day and said, I want to be a world champion. They've walked mm-hmm. in and said, I need to learn how to defend myself, right? That's, that's, and that's the truth, you know? So I think that the beautiful thing about my association is that when, after that process takes place and people get the bug and maybe they start competing, if you do want to become a world champion, my, we're part of Alliance, Alliance uh, Jiu-Jitsu, you know? So my professor, Johnny Faria, and so my guys that want to compete, I'll send them up north, them to Miramar. And now that's the beautiful thing about my associates. We do everything, self-defense, MMA. If you if you want to stay with the self-defense portion, you stay with me. If you want to compete, if you want to go IBGF, world champion, MMA stuff, which we send you up there. And so, you know, and we're very honest with people. Like when people come in, I'm like, look, my philosophy is self-defense. If you want to compete, you can still train here, but we'll send you up north to train with my professor. And, and they love that about, they, you know, they love that about the program that we have here. So you say that about the black belts, but could you just give us like a rough idea of like what you expect of like a white belt, the blue belt, a purple belt, like a brown belt, you know, yeah. black. I'm curious of your thought well, on that. And I'll, I'll use this analogy. People ask me, do you know how to play chess? Right. And in jail, I learned how to play chess or so I thought, right? or so mm-hmm. I thought in jail. What I learned is how the pieces move, right? how the pieces move, but I never understood how to formulate a game plan for chess. Right. Likewise, as a blue belt, that you don't know jujitsu. As a blue belt, you're learning how the pieces move, right? By the time you're a purple belt, you begin to formulate your own jujitsu, right? You understand jujitsu. So white belt, I just need my white belts to listen. Listen. Blue belts act. Act. White belts listen. Blue belts act. Purple belts perform, right? Mm-hmm. And then the brown belt is just a segue from purple to black. The brown belt is just a time. It's just a timing belt. Right? By the time you're a purple belt, you pretty much have all the tools in your arsenal that you're going to have as a black belt. But you need that brown belt time to kind of shed some things, sharpen some things up, and just put the mat time in. But that's really, that's really what I expect. And, the, and the whole entire time, I mean, you guys have seen my promotions. The first time we put my promotions on the internet, they went viral. Because people are like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? This isn't jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and then other people are like, this is real jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. I think kind of famous. Cause that shit went viral the first time we did that, and people and my old the old school jujitsu guys were like yeah oh my god that's and other guys were like what the fuck is that that's not jujitsu I'm like yo you have no idea what you're talking about and uh, I think that's a big part why people either love me or they hate me because they're like he doesn't teach jujitsu and like okay but you know that's I expect of all my guys that at the end of the day if they go out to the street if they walk to their car and maybe not for them maybe no one's gonna maybe nobody is going to attack them. Well, let's say they look down the street and there's somebody getting bullied or some girls, somebody's trying to grab a girl and put them in the car. Do they have the tools in their toolbox to go out and defend that person two-on-one if two guys are beating that girl up? And like, do they have the tools? And I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of sports YouTube guys don't have the tools to successfully defend or help somebody need in that capacity. And here we do. We do a lot of two-on-one, three-on-one, three-on-twos. We do weapons. We do everything here. And again, that's just my philosophy. Not right or wrong, but for my mindset, when my guys leave the door, I need to make sure that they're prepared 100% with everything that the world could throw at them. That's my, that's my concern. And so that's what I expect of my students. I love that philosophy. Yeah, I love it. I subscribe to that whole idea. I think that's why I love Elias as much as I do. I, I mean, I, I have no idea about Helio Gracie. I mean, I'm tempted to say that the Gracies, that they're, that's what their intent was with jujitsu. 
always been their intent. Yeah. And so, always- yeah. So I think like that's the purity of it. Like this is the purpose of the art. Don't forget that history and lineage of it. And that should kind of be your foundation. I will say this though, like it's important to compete everyone. Like at every belt, I, I competed more. Some people don't know this. I competed more at black belt than I competed at every other belt level. Because at that point, I, got, I was really known as like the self-defense guy. And people were like, oh, he, doesn't, he just does something because he he's no good at sports shit, right? So I took, I've taken second at the Worlds. I took third twice at the World Logie Worlds. I, you know, I've, taken, I've won a lot of tournaments. I won the Vulcan Open, the American National Open. Um, I had a black belt heavyweight absolute. You know, like, so I think it's important, no matter what you're doing, to take in as much as you possibly can. Mm. Now, do I like competing? I fucking hate competing. I hate it. You show up, you're in the bullpen, you're like, but I do it for my students. I did it so my students can see, oh, he's he's competing. Okay, he's gonna put himself out there, win or lose, and my students see that, right? Um, I never did it for my own glory. I never did it for myself, but the first time I competed at Black Belt, I don't think I could have written it any better. The first time I competed at Black Belt, I fought this guy who was 6'6", right? Carson Gracie Black Belt. And Professor Johnny was the ref, right? I footlocked the guy in like 30 seconds, right? So you couldn't have written it better. In front of my professor, footlock, that's what I'm known for. You know, yeah, it was yeah. a- So, but it's important. Like you can't just, you know, if you want to get really good at jiu really fast, compete. A competition is worth 30, 40 practices. You're in front of somebody, you don't know their game. You don't know how good they are. You don't know what they're good at, you know? And that anxiety, that the, the, the butterflies, it's really good for you because that really mimics that fight or flight response in a self-defense situation. So I tell my students all the time, compete if you can. Not everybody can compete. You know, it's, it's on the weekends, whatever, but do as much as you can, you know, because I feel like your life will be fuller and richer if you do as much as you can and you learn. I'm, I'm, I'm con- consistently and constantly trying to learn new techniques, but I don't veer from my fundamentals but i'm also i'm always trying to learn new things like how am i going to be better how can i become a better person a better dad you know a better boyfriend a better leader i'm always trying to, to do that to myself and i think everybody should be to a noop earlier about um like some of my memories of you and stuff like that and i remember like you'd give us to like different types of classes all the time like there'd be classes where we would running sprints and then like boom you got to hit the fastest guy like that's, yeah, that's yeah. the closest guy next to you, you got to like go there was other times you'd be like all right look at the light spin around 10 times now you go like everything was so different and like but like you saw its purpose you know we even did like two-on-ones and stuff like you'll survive as long as you can like yeah and like i've never seen anyone else do that and those were so fun so like much learning like i I love that stuff do you still do that today oh yes all the time i so Mm -hmm. if you go to my i'm like you'll see we'll do two-on-ones we'll do three-on-twos we'll do all that stuff you know Mm -hmm. and again first it breaks up the monotony, right? And it makes it fun. But then also it's like, look, man, a lot of people think just because they're doing jiu-jitsu or they're doing Muay Thai or learning MMA that they're a bad motherfucker. Well, you're not mm-hmm. bad when it's one. I don't care how good you are. Two-on-one, if you don't understand the dynamic of keeping one person in front of you the whole time and you try to knock one guy out, and it's just, you have to understand that dynamic. And it just humbles you. What I, like, I've been in two knife fights in my, in my entire life, right? Now that I'm learning how to knife fight for reals with an instructor, I'm so thankful I never fought a guy with a knife that knew how to fight with a knife, mm. you know? It's like, you're, it's just like, nowadays, you don't know. All it takes is one little, one punk kid to pull out a, a little 22 and shoot you in the stomach. And that now how bad is your black belt, right? Mm-hmm. It's really about being humble, understanding the power that you have to do jiu-jitsu and utilize or being able to use it when appropriate. Right. But you get these guys that think they're badass. They're downtown because I've seen them or they're walking around and, you know, and, ah, bro, you don't need bro, 
don't get into a fight with a fucking college wrestler who knows how to box a little bit. Now let me see how good your jujitsu is when you, you know, it's yep. and that, that's the reality of it, you know. So you know. it's funny. I so, get asked the question all the time from like people don't train. They're like, oh, do you think you can take on so and so, or do you think you could take on two of these guys? And all the time, I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea. They're like, and as soon as they ask me the scenario of like two on ones, I'm like, no chance. They're like, yeah, yeah, but it's this guy. I'm like, but it's not the movies. One guy doesn't attack at a time. Like, they could throw why- like two punches come your way at the same exact yeah. time. Like, you can't. <laughs> that's, that's why I can still carry. You have to, that's why, like, that's for two on one. That's why. I can yeah. <laughs> I get that question all the time. Like, two on ones are so hard. People love those like hypotheticals, though. Do you think two of these guys beats up a Mike Tyson and stuff? Yeah. You know? One, the best possible scenario, unless you're trying to save somebody's life, is run. If you don't have a concealed carry, it's run. What made you want to focus on self-defense? Was it just your own background and what you've been well, through? Yeah. or? So actually, you know, obviously my background is a bodyguard and kidnapper. And then also one of my best friends who uh, was a Harbor Patrol police officer. And this was kind of really before I really thought, fo- because we were really big into tournaments like that. Um, he ended up taking somebody's life. But he went, there, you know, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop for cops, for law enforcement, you know. So they got a call that there was somebody looking into cars. He shows up on the guy, walked up to the guy to just talk to the guy. The guy immediately reaches for his gun. Battle ensues. The guy doesn't pull the gun, but pulls the officer's taser. Burns my friend in the eye. And, and, and the taser, the prongs don't deploy, but the taser works, right? You know, my, my friend is saying to himself, he goes, all I could think about was my kids. And everything you taught me, the self-defense portion kicked in. Uh, gun came loose. The, the the person took the gun. My friend took the gun back and ended up taking the guy's life. But once I realized, that's when I really shifted my focus at my gym for self-defense. Because it's like, look, if he didn't have that training with me, he, this is what he told me. He's like, if I didn't have that training with you, because he was training at another school before. He goes, I don't, think I, li- I don't think I survived that night. And so that's really, that was the seed that got planted in me. That was like, you know what? There needs to be an avenue for law enforcement officers to understand that well, the way I teach is specifically for them, you know, and uh, and that was kind of the seed, I think, if, if if I could say that really started why it was so important. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm glad he took it because so many times me and Arturo had this discussion sometimes where, you know, a lot of people like want to buy guns to like protect themselves and protect their homes. And, and we agree with that. But more than likely, you're never going to have an opportunity to get that gun. So why aren't you also spending time? working on self-defense whether it's judo or jujitsu or sambo or boxing like it's that's very important that's very important but you know what people like i said people want the easy route people want the easy way out and the easy way out is let me just go for my gun you know that's that's usually how it goes Mm -hmm. exactly fascinating because some of the stuff that you're saying reminds me of my sambo teacher and it was like these two-on-ones that he would do and like sometimes he would have like in the middle of the day like knife scenarios and then I realized, oh yeah, Sambo is like military, but also you're teaching majority cops, like military, yeah. like, and people that have domestic violence, like people that have been through the worst. So it just makes sense that you have that mindset. And now I understand why you focus on it so much. Yeah. If not jujitsu, would, uh, would you recommend some other martial arts to Muay people? Muay Thai, for sure. Judo, Muay Thai, Judo, wrestling, uh, uh, any combat sport where, where you're actually, where there's no caught involved, where you're actually body against body, you know, wrestling, judo, Muay Thai, you know, something like that, boxing. I mean, any look, I don't care if, let, I'm going to be real. I don't care if you're doing fucking Taekwondo, right? You're going to be, if you're doing Taekwondo or karate, you're, you're doing something, right? And it's better than doing nothing. You know, people <laughs> don't like is when you see these jiu-jitsu guys talk shit about other martial arts. I'm like, look, man, 
if it wasn't for Hillary, we'd be doing fucking karate. You know, in, in the nineties, we were fire. Who did it? We were all trying to be John Claude Van Damme, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or Chuck Norris. You know, and it's like there is there is a purpose, I think, for every traditional martial art. At the very least, you're going to be in shape. You're going to understand combat. You're going to understand posture and base. And that's at the at the end of the day, life is about posture and base, right? Not just in mm. combat. In my daily life, if I can maintain my posture, fuck you, punk. All right, yeah, fuck me. I'm sorry, man. Let me buy you. <laughs> if I can maintain my base and posture, uh, if, if the troubles that are coming at me, if I don't allow them to sway me or to break me down by maintaining my base and posture, by the way I think, by the way I carry myself, right? I will be better for it. Just like in jujitsu. In jujitsu, as long as I can maintain my base and posture while disrupting my opponent's base and posture, I'm at least going to survive, right? And really, life is just about you know, not, not just surviving, but I want to thrive, right? So, and that only happens if I understand base and posture, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? Not just on mm-hmm. the map, life. Base and mm-hmm. posture is everything. You know, jujitsu, uh, you know, life is like this. Life goes up and down. My girlfriend left and my dog died. And jujitsu is like this. I like when things are nice little packages, you know, like sometimes like, all right, what's the most essential thing like I should learn today? You know, like the teacher put- in me wants to have an end. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. Like base and posture for both the mat and off the mat. Uh, I had a question. I, I saw that like you once got a piece of advice from, uh, you said Hoyler Gracie, where he told you like, hey, when you're having a bad day, you better show up to class because yeah. Yeah, yeah. all your all your students are having bad days and that's what they're doing. So you're like, you yeah, can't take exactly. a day off. Bro, let me tell you guys, I have a lot of bad days because of my depression, right? And I'm going to be honest, sometimes, sometimes uh, it gets the best of me. It does. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it gets the best of me. But other times, what really, like what really gets me out of that, if you guys don't understand what depression is, it's like, a, you guys know what a Mexican blanket is? Those thick Mexican blankets that you get at the border, like a really mm-hmm. thick blanket, right? Now think of that thick Mexican blanket dipped in water and honey, right? And then someone just puts that blanket over you. That's how my depression hits me, right? It'll be out of nowhere. And it's just like heavy, this like, I don't know. What, what helps me to fight that off and get to the mat is I'm thinking, man, there's gotta be somebody going through the same thing at my class waiting. And if I don't show up, Who's going to help them, right? And so that's what gets me going. That and, and and I wish I could say it worked every time, but sometimes it's just, sometimes I deplete myself so much from helping so many people. And I think it's like that perfect storm of, of being depleted and then that, that attacks me. But really, that's what helps me get to class because of what Master Horner said. Like, look, man, it doesn't matter what you're going through. When you step through those doors, you have a smile on your face. It's the best day for you because your students need you. Right. And that was really that was really probably the best leadership advice that Master Horder gave me, you know, understanding that they don't fucking care what I'm going through. They're going, you know, they're going through all kinds of their pain. Help. I tell people this all the time. You're not paying me for jujitsu. Like people don't pay me for jujitsu. They pay me for life lessons. Like they pay me for my analogies. They pay me for my wisdom, for my experience. As far as jujitsu is concerned, you can learn jujitsu off of YouTube. You can learn jujitsu off the street, anywhere else. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have any secret techniques. People come to me because of how I make them feel. Cause I know their first name. It's like, Hey bro, I know their first name, right? They, they know that I care about them. And when somebody knows that you care about them, they'll follow you to the end of the earth. Like Russ and Brandon will follow me to the end of the earth. Cause they know that I care about them. Right? And, and that's really what it is. When people know you care about them, they'll follow you. I don't have a big name. I'm not a world champion, but people know when they walk through the door that I care about them. 
And that's really all it is. Yeah. You, you told me once a long time ago, this is, you know, like a decade ago, but, um, you like asked me like why I wasn't in jujitsu like the day before or something like that. And I was like, oh, I was feeling really beat up. He's like, you should come anyway. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not so good for me, but he's like, it's not always about you. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I was in my twenties, you know, I'm not thinking, yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. And you're like, be a good training partner, be a body. Like, yeah. remember you're there, not just for you too. And I was like, right then and there, I was like, that's it. Like you're right. hundred percent. And that completely changed my attitude about like training. Like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. like if you're not going to be there for you, like be there for them, be a good training yeah. partner. Be, yeah, I love it. One of the things I always tell my students is look, if we're doing five rounds, let's say it's five rounds, two rounds are yours. Three rounds are theirs. Mm. Two rounds, kick ass, play your A game. And the other three rounds, help people, right? Mm. Help people. A, a lot of times, look, you know, how, like they talk about like the tide rises and all the boats rise with the tide, right? Don't be the boat, be the fucking tide, be the tide. What is, what do I mean by that? Look, you can come in and be selfish because you get these world champions, these guys that want to be the best and they're selfish. They move from gym to gym. They only care about their training. They show up and they, and they're all five rounds. They're working on their A game. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're going to get better eventually. But if I give two rounds to myself and three rounds to my training partners, if I make my training partners better in turn, we all get better. Long-term, everybody becomes successful. But if I come in and I just beat everybody up as of the black belt, Nobody gets better. My ego gets my ego gets filled, but nobody gets better. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess you learn by default, but but that's not that's not what you're supposed to be about. You know, be the tie, raise everybody up. And when you do, ever since I started implementing that, and I get caught by my white belts because I'm giving them that round. You know, oh, and the professor, did you really catch me? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I started in a bad position, but you caught me. Like, you know, like I don't have an ego. You caught me. You know, oh, are mm -hmm. you sure? And I'm like, yeah. No, I'm just playing. I gave it to you. You know, just whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you understand that principle of, you know, walking through the door, everybody talks about leaving ego at the door. Nobody does. Nobody does. Right. Because mm -hmm. you're a man, because there's testosterone in your man. You're like, ah, fuck that. Mm -hmm. But when you understand, you don't have to leave your ego at the door, but understand that, hey, I'm going to get my training partner better. That's a better mindset. Because if you tell me, hey, leave your ego at the door, nobody understands why you have to leave, why you have to leave your ego at the door. But if I tell you, look, keep your ego, just make your training partner better. Okay. So I made my training partner better by letting them tap me. So I feel good because I made my training partner better and they feel good because they tap me. Cool. Win win. Right? And, and that's a better way of explaining it to people than just saying, leave your ego at the door. Nobody mm. uses your fucking ego. I don't remember the last time somebody left their ego at the door. Mm. You know? That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I had a question. I was kind yes. of leading with it a little bit with the Hoyler, but you also said you studied under master Fabio Santos and also yeah. world, world champion Dean Lister. Could yeah. you also give us like a little nugget maybe from some of your teachers, like what you learned from them? Like I learned this. From <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I learned how to be tough with Fabio. Uh, that was a fucking gladiator school, man. There, there's, I, I guess my gym is the closest to what that was. Nobody understands what that training was unless you were there in 95, 96. Sometimes you weren't walking off the mat. You're crawling off the mat. Like, uh, it was literally a gladiator school. I didn't, I didn't really learn jiu-jitsu at Fabio's. I learned how to be real tough. I learned how to get beat up and beat people up. But I didn't learn, like, technique. Like, I learned that after class. You know, I just learned how to survive. I learned how to, like, at Fabio's, I learned how to be really tough. I'm, you know, I'll never forget Fabio. Like when you're in a bad position, like if my students in the bad position, I'm be like, Arturo, put your left hand on his right hip, your right hand on his shoulder, right shoulder, hip out to your left. Right. Instruction. Here's Fabio. Get the fuck out of there. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, I gotta get the fuck out of there, right? 
what that Tommy was, I have to find a way to get the fuck out of there, right? Tommy that. Um, Dean, like Arturo, Dean was just like, Dean was just an amazing instructor. Dean is like, has a special understanding of jiu-jitsu where one thing that I learned from Dean is whatever problem I have in jiu-jitsu, take a step back and see the whole the whole picture before you try to dissect. And what I mean by that is like, I would have, I had a problem with my grip where I was grabbing a little bit too high. And Dean goes, look, man, just put your thumb a little bit down. Dean adjusted me like half an inch and it changed my grip came up, right? So understanding that jujitsu is a game of inches and being able to just take a step back when you have a problem and kind of like reverse engineer it. That's what I love. That's what I learned from Dean. It's just like reverse engineering a situation or a position or a dilemma that you have. Yeah, but Fabio just got tough at Fabio. <laughs> if you can fight anyone in any era, who would you fight and why? Um, <laughs> I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Uh, I don't want to fight uh, Steven Seagal. Just to, you know, <laughs> like, so, because I've heard, I've heard that you know that he's a legit Aikido guy. Like he's one of the first Americans, or you know, to open up, have his own studio in Japan, right? So when it comes to Aikido, he's legit. I heard he's an asshole too, but. I would like to fight him. I would like to fight him. I heard that story that Gene LaBelle uh, choked him out, made him shit his pants one time, you know, but oh, I would yeah. like to fight Steven Seagal. I think that would be cool. That would be say good. Him, you know? Oh, I never heard that story. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess Gene LaBelle was a stuntman or something like that. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a widely known story. Gene LaBelle choked him out. And then I guess Steven Seagal shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we also do kind of this uh, keep it or kill it segment. Basically, keep it if you think it's something that uh, you like or kill it okay. if you think it's kind of like ridiculous. I'll kind of just like spitball some things at you and you tell yeah. me your opinions on them. Okay. All right, uh, first thing we'll go, keep it or kill it, leg locks. I'll keep it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> keep it or kill it, headgear while sparring. <laughs> uh, kill it. Kill it, why? I think headgear, so I saw, I've seen some studies that headgear doesn't even work when we're talking about striking sparring, right? Mm -hmm. Headgear doesn't mm -hmm. work. It gets, in your, it gets in your way. And I think uh, it's just a disadvantage when you're sparring. It gets in your way. You know, the right training partners take care of each other. So that's why I say kill it. Mm, okay. Fair. All right. Keep it or kill it. Gauntlet belt promotions. Keep it. Keep it. I, I, who's <laughs> even thinking about killing that? So <laughs> a, a lot of people nowadays, you know, like uh, I, think I, think that, uh... I think that goes to like that new generation of YouTube guys that don't understand like, why is that? You know, the gauntlet is a rite of passage. It's, that's what that is. It's, it's, it's a rite of passage. But yeah, we're always going to maintain that. Here. Mm -hmm. All right. Drug testing in combat sports. Man, I, I say let these motherfuckers. There should be two types. There should be two groups. Like there's two groups for like body, li like lifting, you know, like mm -hmm. yep. there should be two groups, man. This, this, all that fucking horse meat that you guys want to take, whatever, like let these motherfuckers <laughs> take that shit and let them compete. And then if they don't over here, but let's, come on, let's be real, man. A lot of these dudes are on it. A lot of these guys that are talking shit about people that are on it are on it. Mm -hmm. Let's just be real, man. Like I say, I say, you know, if you want to do it, do it, but have a, have that fight league for those guys, have a fight league for the clean guys or the, you know, the, the non-science guys and, and, and have at it. All right. Keep it or kill it. Wrist locks. Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. If you're going to ask me anything about a submission that makes somebody tap, I'm going to say, keep it. Me at the too. end of the day, you made somebody tap. I don't care. I don't care. If it's because my elbow was in your eye. You tapped. You know, like that's, you know, my philosophy is we do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, of course. But I also teach a lot of catch wrestling. If it works, it works. So 
Yeah, if it works, it works. If it's going to help me to defeat you on the battlefield, whether that's on the mat or on the street or in my mind, I'm going to keep it. Okay. Someone taps out and the guy that taps out was like, oh, that was more of a crank than a choke. Yeah. So, so like, do you ever get in that realm of like someone telling you that or do you, well, do you so think they, there's a My difference? guys know better. So here's the thing. I'll show <laughs> them and I go, look, this is either going to be a crank or a choke. All I care is that tap. I don't give a fuck what it was. It tapped. Mm -hmm. That's it. Crank, mm -hmm. choke, eye poke, I don't care. It, it's You're done. You, I did something to you where you can no longer fight. You can no longer compete. You have to stop. You lost. Do you have a favorite sub, though? The one that works? The one that works. I, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, the one that works. All right. Keep it or kill it, cups while rolling. Uh, kill it. Okay. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I think some guys get used to, like, especially guys that wear, like, the Muay Thai cups, getting arm bars and, and using the cup to that's cool in MMA or whatever, but like, you know, like I think it, it takes away from your technique as far as the arm bar is concerned, you know? Um, I don't know that anybody wears it here. I know a few, I know Russ wears one, you know, but other than that, I, you know, I kill it. Doesn't okay. really think so. Keep it or kill it combat jujitsu. Keep it. Okay. I think it's, I think it's just another branch of the tree, right? where it's not MMA. Look, you get some guys that don't they, that don't want to fight MMA, don't want to compete MMA, but they want to take their their sport jiu-jitsu to like a more realistic level. Okay, combat jiu-jitsu, you know? Mm -hmm. We call combat jiu-jitsu the self-defense class here. That's what that mm -hmm. is here. But it's it's cool. It's another avenue. It's another it's another sport. It's another, like EBI or, you know, Eddie Bravo does that combat jiu-jitsu. And it's cool. It's bringing people that, you know what? You know what? MMA is too violent for me, but oh, combat, I mean, whatever. It's another door. It's, if it's going to bring people into jujitsu to get healthier lifestyle, if they watch that and say, "Hey, uh, you know, Eddie Bravo has his combat jujitsu. What's the closest jujitsu class to my house? Let me go." Right? Somebody's going to get. It's going to work for somebody. Somebody's going to win off of that. So if it helps the community grow, keep it. Okay. Well, here's something similar. Then keep it or kill it. Quintet. You know, like that five-on-five that, five that oh, I, like, I love does. that. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Anything that has to do, like, with duels, it's like, oh, I love that shit. That's, that's, I love that. I love that, yeah. Yeah, Quintet is, uh, I'm a big fan of that. I think that's so, so fun to watch. I love seeing, yes. like, the big guy versus a little guy and all these different types of matchups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And, and they also, like, stress the importance of sometimes you just got to survive because if you survive, yeah, yeah. you take and, that guy uh, out, the, too. The 10 Panic guys are really big into that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Um, all right. How about, how about your thoughts? Like, uh, keep it or kill it. Worm guard. Keep it. Okay. Look, any, again, when you venture into that avenue of sport only, you gotta, you, you have to open up your mind, right? You open up your mind and play with what's there. What does the rule set give you? What's within the boundaries of the rule set for that particular sport? So worm guard, I will never use it because first of all, my body doesn't work that way, but my kids use it. You know, the kids that compete. So and it's fun. You're playing with the lapel. Look, man, the older you get, at this point, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 30 years, 25 years, something like that. It's like, I play with, like, lapel stuff and just just to mess around, you know? How, if it's going to help me have fun on the mat, keep it. As long as you understand the difference between what's real and what's not real when it comes to self-defense, right? Whatever the rule set calls for for that particular thing that you're doing, if it's going to help you, keep it. <laughs> Fucking Keenan won how many tournaments with that thing, you know? So keep yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. I, that's all I have for keep it or kill. Do, do you have anything new? Like, do you have a person that you would like to train with or learn from? Like, do you, is there somebody that out there right now that you respect that 
You're like, yeah, the only, from- yeah. So I would love to train with Henzo. Like everybody's gonna say John Danahauer and all these guys. I would love to train with Henzo just to fucking hear his stories after class. Like that's the only reason <laughs> I want to train with Henzo. It's just like nobody's gonna te- like at this point, no one's gonna teach me like, oh my god, no one's gonna really blow my mind or whatever, you know. But if I could train with anybody in the world, it would be Henzo just to feel his energy. Like when I see his videos, I vibe off his energy on his videos. So I can only imagine what that's like to be in person with him. And and just like the best part of my Fabio, of my Fabio season was after class, we train hard, you know, and then you can't walk, you can't move. So you just sit down and Fabio would come and sit down and tell a story about how him and Helsin got into a fight with 10 dudes in Rio or like, you know, like all these old school stories. It's like that culture that understand, like, I would love to train with Henzo just to hear him, just to hear him talk, just to hear his stories. Yeah, Henzo does have lo- his stories. He is a funny guy, man. <laughs> and yeah, a legend. Actually, next week we're gonna interview uh, my professor Anthony Buckwitz, and he got his black belt under Henzo. So I'm oh sure man, be- no, I got it. Okay, I'll make sure I listen to that one. And yeah, he's like one of those people that brings everybody together yeah. and just <laughs> his voice and and the business of jujitsu too, right? Like yeah. in the United States, it's just uh, one of the pioneers. Awesome. I think we should kind of end off with uh, kind of talking about your association, your umbrella of schools, kind of promote those. Yeah. People can find you. Tell us. Yeah. So the, the name of my association is the Gallegos Jiu-Jitsu Association. And again, it's just uh, a bunch of guys that um, got together that were kind of disenfranchised with the associations of the teams they were on before and just got together and like, you know, we're really big on, on self-defense and uh, we just vibe and, and, and feed off of each other. You know, I have schools in Oceanside, Imperial Beach, uh, San Diego. We're also part of Alliance Jiu-Jitsu. So people just hit me up on Instagram, uh, Alliance Jiu-Jitsu Eastlake, and they can get all the information there if they want to come and vi- visit us or just train with us. If they're looking for real self-defense, especially like my law enforcement military guys, um, just you know, find me on Instagram and, and we can take care of them on there. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for uh, doing this. Like, I really appreciate it. And... Oh, I had one last question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on Arturo as a student. Oh man, Arturo was the, Arturo was the best, one of the best students ever. I remember, Arturo, remember when I put you to sleep when you got your yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> Arturo was great because I, Arturo actually, I remember getting advice from Arturo on like on eating and like when Arturo, I remember when Arturo started doing like a CrossFit and all that stuff, and I was like, why are you doing that for? Like, I didn't understand that, but Arturo was a was a great student. He would always show up. We'd always train hard. I would use him a lot as my, as my, like when I would show the move, I would use him a lot for that. Um, and he was just like, I liked, <laughs> one of the things I like is I like talking to him because I like hearing his accent. Like, that's what I really <laughs> like hearing his accent for. Um, but yeah, he was a great student. He was, you know, we had a really good group of guys at that time. And our tour was probably one of my favorite guys because he was always showing up to train. He was always training hard. Um, you know, he was always, he, he was always visible on the map. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times people will show up to class and just show up but Arturo was always visible he was always participating he was always doing something and that's what I always remember about it. wonderful oh, yeah it's nice to hear Thank that yeah. <laughs> awesome awesome a- anything else Arturo no, that's it, man. That, that was awesome. Uh, again, thank you, Elias, for joining us. I, I appreciate your time, man. And I feel like, um, I don't know, you, you've given me so much. And I feel like the more I can get people to know you and what you're doing, you can help so much more. Yeah, man, I really appreciate that, guys. Thank you so much. I really love being on the show. Awesome. All right. Awesome. All, All the right, best. man. Elias, I Have hope to see day. you sooner than later, man. Yes, sir. I love you guys. I'll see you guys soon. All right. Okay. Have a good Make one, good. man. 
Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.